Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Aitman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve oh! Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, close to the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house! And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He pounded All right, Panthers fans, welcome back to another edition of the Roar Podcast. John Ellis here with you. we got Billy Marshall coming up here shortly with a special guest. Got a lot to talk about. Obviously, it's been a busy week for the Panthers. <laughs> Quite a bit to break down as they have made another trade, of course, uh, earlier in the week as we come to you on a Friday morning. Stefan Gilmore, the former Defensive Player of the Year, is now a Carolina Panther. How about that? Uh, I just want to get to what that trade means later in the program here as far as the dynamics of the defense and what that ultimately means long-term for this team, I think, as we preview this game coming up against the Philadelphia Eagles, 1-3 right now, third in the NFC East. Going to take a deeper dive with them shortly with Billy Marshall, but I just want to give you my two cents on what's going on with this team. First of all, Carolina coming off that tough loss at Dallas. Obviously, a game that we all thought the Panthers would have a hard time keeping pace with. I know a lot of fans out there were disappointed in the result. Um, some were surprised by it. I, I can't say that I was. Uh, I didn't make a pick in that game for that reason. I just was very much on the fence about who would be the deciding factor in this game for Carolina. Uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, we look back at that game and we could say that a lot of things contributed. The, the officiating early on was not helpful. But Carolina stayed in the game. They were leading at halftime. And obviously in the third quarter, it was just another situation where this Panthers team still learning to grow, still learning how to win. Uh, had a few stumbles there in the third quarter. They start out with that nice drive, move down the field. They get into a third and seven. They can't convert, and they're stuck in sort of no man's land. They choose to go with the 54-yard field goal with Zane Gonzalez, and it's no good. And the tie turns at that point. You see Dallas with the ability to move the ball quickly after that score. Carolina with two unfortunate turnovers uh, on Sam Darnold's front there. Obviously one of those picks, uh, sort of a misread over the middle. And uh, Diggs jumps it in the second one. Uh, you know, look, Diggs is a very good corner. 
And that stop route to Moore on the perimeter uh, was just a little late. It was a little predictable. Diggs ran the route for DJ, and it was a turnover. And from there, the game spiraled out of control. Give Carolina credit. They did fight until the end. They made a good push uh, to get that game close at the end. They kept it within one possession, but they couldn't make that final stop on the speed option play with Pollard and Zeke in the game together. 22-pony look that we had talked about could rear its ugly head, and of course it did. And the Panthers fall to 3-1. and one. But it's the kind of game that I, I think if you're going to lose, it's okay. Um, you always want to win. You never play to lose. But you get out of their understanding that, okay, you know what? If not for one or two plays here, this Carolina team could win that game. And that would have been an upset in my mind based on the level of talent Dallas has right now. I know Dallas came in with a worse record. But the Cowboys, much like the Panthers just did, showed what they could do on the road against Tampa Week 1 with a very good performance against the Buccaneers, took them down to the wire, and just fell short. So, again, that's that game. We packed that up and looked at this week, and my goodness, what a, <laughs> what a, what a piece of news that came through the wire yesterday with Stephon Gilmore. Of course, longtime New England Patriot. He's on the plus side of 30 now, so there's that. But dealing with a bit of an injury issue, scheduled to come back uh, for the Giants game for the Panthers here in Week 7. But news broke yesterday that Gilmore was scheduled to be released. Uh, What that indicated to me at the time was Belichick had until, I think, 4 o'clock to make that move and was obviously looking at potential trade partners out there uh, to swoop in and help out. Uh, Carolina obliged. (laughs) I see Scott Fitterer in on every deal. And was certainly in on that one. He may mention to, to Dave Ziegler, uh, talking yesterday, who uh, was the pro personnel guy for the Patriots. And they, they obviously have a relationship that goes back. And this is where the relationships come in handy in this business. When you have a, a guy like Fitterer who uh, has spent so much time in Seattle's front office and they have made a multitude of moves from the pro personnel perspective themselves over the years. Uh, that's the mindset now. It's aggressive. It's win now. Gilmore obviously comes with not only a great deal of talent, but as we talked about this yesterday with with Stanley McClover on our Twitter Spaces uh, meeting there, Stanley's played the game. He understands the dynamics of the current locker room with his brother Brian Burns as one of the key leaders on that team. We made the point that, you know, this is a kind of move you make to win now because there's no guarantees this is a long-term contract. Uh, They obviously are trying to make that happen. Gilmore's a Rock Hill native. Uh, his wife on Twitter seems thrilled that they're coming home. I mean, he, Gilmore even, I think, had sort of insinuated in a way through his comments that this is something he's looking forward to doing long-term here. And Fitterer had mentioned that they're not opposed to making a long-term deal. So I think it's a great move. It's a move that, that shows you not only you know that they value replacing players with good players, but it tells you a little bit about where their mindset is. As analysts out there, as pundits, we only know so much. As fans, you only know so much. All we can go on is what they're thinking. And and what they need to be thinking here from making this move, I would assume, is, okay, we know with the schedule ahead, we know with our current roster structure that we can make a push for the playoffs this year. And that's what this move is all about. It's You're not thinking in terms, and this is what our fans get it wrong sometimes, no one's thinking about the Super Bowl right now. No one, not, not even the Patriots. 
or sorry, not, not even the Buccaneers. They're thinking Tom Brady here. The Patriots certainly aren't thinking about the Super Bowl at the moment with Mac Jones throwing uh, you know five-yard checkdowns. What is going on with NFL teams at this point is you're trying to work your way into a good position post-Thanksgiving as you get into December 1st. Obviously, you have your layers of teams that are elite. You know, you have the teams like the Los Angeles Rams, who look like they're well on their way. The Cowboys look like they're well on their way. You have a few teams in the AFC that are of the similar ilk. But, you know, you look back at Green Bay, who looks to be one of the favorites in the NFC now. Look how they looked week one against a pretty mediocre team in New Orleans right now. So it's hard to really know this early in the season who your Super Bowl contenders are because things do surprise you at the end of the year. For instance, last night in the Thursday night game, Russell Wilson now has a hand injury. That's a major deal. They go from being competitive in that game, Russell Wilson throwing dimes to DK Metcalf and to, to Lockett, to all of a sudden their quarterback situation is a bit of a mystery. And that puts them immediately in the back seat in terms of challenging in that division. The Cardinals are playing great football. But Carolina finds themselves in a good position now. And we're going to get through this Philadelphia game momentarily, but this is one of several games ahead of their schedule where you look at the matchups and you look at what these teams present. And it, it, it says to me, you know, they can challenge for this division. And they can challenge at least to put themselves in a position with the hot start, which buys you some time, which buys you some equity, and, and puts you in a position, obviously, to make these kind of moves to say, you know what, if we add Stephon Gilmore, replacing the great J.C. Horn, who's out for the season, and, and we'll get to that in a minute, that tells me where this mindset is for this franchise. And that's okay, you know what, year two, we, we thought and we laid the expectation out that it could be a multi-year process in terms of, okay, by, by year three, year four, we can start talking playoffs. Well, I never bought that. <laughs> Just, I know Matt Rule's mindset too well, and I knew the personnel they had coming into the season was an upgrade, and I just felt, okay, you know what? Maybe not a three-in-one start was in my equation. I felt that they could get out of the blocks pretty fast, but I, I just felt that this was the way they were trying to structure the roster going to be a season where if they started fast, they would not be afraid to continue making moves, and they have done that with this trade for Stephon Gilmore, who will be eligible once again to play by week seven. It's week five now. We look for the Philadelphia game uh, in terms of the preview here. And again, we got Billy Marshall with a special guest coming up here in a minute. Uh, Lane Johnson, the very good right tackle for the Eagles, is out with a personal uh, situation going on. Pat Kerwin, who follows uh, the NFL, covers the NFL for SiriusXM, does a great show on their network with Jim Miller had mentioned uh, he had talked to a source that pretty much indicated Lane Johnson uh, all all more than likely would, would not be playing on Sunday. And obviously that's uh, a concern for Philadelphia. Um, gives Carolina a little bit of reason to be optimistic. Uh, so far this season, you know, he's played a lot of snaps. I mean, obviously 71 snaps against Atlanta, 58 snaps against San Francisco, 58 snaps against Dallas. Um, so, again, this is a game where they would miss that uh, production. Uh, he's, you know, three-time Pro Bowler, 
He's a monster out there on the right side, and that's uh, you know something you got to look out for. Their injury report, um, obviously, you know they have uh, Avante Maddox, the corner, coming back, full participation. Kelsey looks like he's good to go. The center, Darius Slade, did not participate for a personal reason. Don't know what's going on there, but that's you know one of their better defenders back there. Uh, Quez Watkins, uh, full participation with a knee injury. If you look at the stats so far, again, we're not going advanced analytics here. We're just going base score numbers here. The the problem for Philadelphia, obviously, has has been very much defensively. We'll start there. You know, what they have not done a good job of is obviously stopping the run and stopping the pass. They are not good in either area. Uh, the last two weeks, they've given up an average of 180 yards on the ground. That's against the Chiefs and the Cowboys, two teams that certainly know how to run it when they're committed to it. Um, the turnovers are coming slowly for these guys. I mean, they have only turned the ball over twice offensively, uh, but defensively they've only taken the ball away twice themselves, and uh, that's certainly not up to the standard that they want right now defensively. Uh, if you look at where they rank overall defensively uh, in terms of yardage uh, given up, it's 13th. Uh, passing, they're giving up. Oh, man, look, it's, it's not terrible. Um, but in terms of the touchdown-to-interception ratio, it's 9-1. to one. Um, Only 6.2 yards net per attempt they're giving up, but they, they're not very good in terms of uh, getting the ball uh, from turnovers, and they've given up nine passing touchdowns. You think that has to be something that Sam Darnold's pretty happy about. Um, against the run, again, that, that's sort of a soft spot for them. Teams have run the ball a lot against Philadelphia. Uh, they they don't give up a lot on average. They're in the middle of the pack at about four and a half. That's that's still a pretty decent chunk, but that's not the worst in the league. But again, teams have run the ball 137 times against Philly. Part of that is building a lead early and the ability to sustain through that. You look at their first four games, what's happened. They open up with a big win against Atlanta. Um, yeah, 32-6. to six. Atlanta was not a very good team at that point. They still aren't. Uh, narrow loss to the San Francisco 49ers, who, again, were trying to figure themselves out at that point. In the last two weeks, obviously, they've just not been pretty. Uh, blowout losses to the Cowboys and the Chiefs. Offensively, I will say this. I think Jalen Hurts is playing good football. I really do. Seven touchdowns, two interceptions, very efficient. He's running the ball effectively. Um, if you just look at what he's doing from a rushing standpoint, you know, 226 on the ground. He's got a touchdown, six and a half per carry. So we go back to this game against Dallas, and Billy and I talked about this on our last episode. One thing Carolina did a little bit of a poor job of defensively was over-pursuing on their rush lanes, and they were a little bit sloppy in the pass rush, I thought. Um, the, their defense has been fantastic throughout the season. You don't want to be too critical, but this is a game where it's imperative for Carolina to stay disciplined. If you remember, I, I made this analogy a couple of days ago. You think back to the way Carolina played Michael Vick for, for several years, and Hertz has similar traits in terms of his ability to escape and kill you in the running game. He's a little bit of a passer, I think, in terms of his development right now at this stage of his career early on as a rookie. But his ability to escape and to eliminate you know, bad plays and introduce positive plays is really critical for Carolina to keep in mind. What happened with Dak a little bit, Dak didn't run for 50, 60, 70 yards. I mean, he, yeah, I think he had about 35 yards. But the, the couple of times he did break contain and get out of the pocket were critical situations. 
And it's really important for Carolina to, to settle in and sort of, like I called it with Vic for years, you, you have to net him a little bit. You have to build a little bit of a net around him in the pocket. You can't over-pursue or else, especially on the edge, he, he'll blow right by you. And he'll find running lanes. And, and you remember Cam Newton did this for years against teams, and we were on the, the nice side of it if you're on the Panthers' side. So I think it's, it's going to be really important for Carolina to, you know, it always all starts up front. Philadelphia does not commit to running the ball as, as much as they should. In that Dallas game, I think they gave the ball to the backs three times. In the running game, though, with Hurts, you have to be disciplined. Morgan Fox, Brian Burns, Hassan Reddick, uh, you know, Daquan Jones, all, all these guys up front that, that are going to be a part of, 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 you know, maintaining disciplined rush lanes. They have to do that. They can't over-pursue. So you don't want to rush too fast, too hard. You do want to play hard, but you want to play smart. So, again, the back end is what's going to be important here as well with that. Shaq Thompson looks like it will miss time here in this game. That's essential because he is the leader of the defense in the middle. Um, he's also played very well this year, I think. Uh, offensively, you know, what do they have on the back end or on the um, on the perimeter for Philadelphia? Obviously, Devontae Smith, the rookie, very good route runner, very clean route runner. Not an overly big guy, but has such smooth transition out of his routes. Uh, Jalen Rieger has, you know, again, n n nobody's considering Jalen Rieger as an over-the-top deep threat at 8.3 yards per reception. They still have to deal with Zach Ertz, uh, Dallas Goddard. They have a pair of tight ends there who can do some damage. Um, Quez Watkins is their deep threat. He's looking like he's going to play. He's at 21 yards per reception this season. So Watkins, number 16, would be the guy to keep your eye on for the deep ball if he does play. Quick keys to the game here, you know, once again, I just think the red zone has to be good defensively. Carolina has not necessarily been great in that area defensively. Offensively, they have gotten much better in the red zone. The red zone has troubled Philadelphia defensively. They rank 26th in the league in red zone defense right now. Um, so I think, once again, if you're Sam Darnold, Joe Brady, get into the red zone, get there often. I don't think they'll have much problem. I, there's one problem here I will bring up in a second here defensively if you're Philadelphia to Carolina. I'll say this. If you get in the red zone, you have a good chance of succeeding against uh, Philadelphia's defense because on a short, truncated field, they don't have the ability to do what they do best, which is get pressure. Um, this is what Philadelphia can do with Fletcher Cox inside, especially with Hargrave. Just keep that name in mind. Josh Norris, who does great work on Twitter and with fantasy analysis and NFL analysis. He's a great follow. Norris was the first one I saw bring up Hargrave this year. And obviously we've known about Hargrave for a little while. He's a local kid, uh, very good player, but nobody had really hyped him up. And before that Dallas game, I saw him mention Hargrave's name. And I was like, okay, let's keep an eye on this kid because he's going to be facing Caroline two weeks. Well, he's been tremendous. He's been the defensive leader in terms of, you know, not only pressures, but the ability to make impact plays. I just think he's a guy you got to look out for in terms of, you know, what you're going to do. He has seven hits on the quarterback, six tackles for loss, five sacks. This is all as an interior lineman, guys. Number 97, Javon Hargrave. Keep an eye on him. Obviously, they have Barnett. They have Josh Sweat. They have other guys who can get to the quarterback. Um, Hassan Ridgeway. Uh, but they do not have an abundance of players outside of Hargrave that are that are eating at high levels right now. They just don't. Um, Fletcher Cox has not been very productive. 
that doesn't mean he can't explode in a minute. You know, I've read some stuff this week about it's scheme-related. Um, I don't know, but if you look at the four games he's played so far, I mean, just take a look at the numbers. He's had three solo tackles. Um, not a lot of production there. Um, he has scored a touchdown on that fumble recovery. But uh, at any moment, we've seen Fletcher Cox ruin games for Carolinas over the years. I mean, he had that game against the Panthers in 2017 on a Thursday night. So, again, I, w- I would look for what Philadelphia does well on defense starts with Hargrave inside. And Fletcher Cox will obviously be a big part of that as well. But with no Lane Johnson this game at right tackle, we'll have to see what they do um, in terms of shuffling things around and making that work. Coming up next, Billy Marshall is joined by a special guest as they preview the Eagles. You're listening to the Roar Podcast right here on Blue Wire. Panthers fans, football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet for Panthers tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other sites charge it, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? Well, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. Look, there's storylines all over the place for the Panthers this year at Bank of America Stadium. Between the offense clicking, the defense playing lights out, be there to see it all. Visit TickPick.com Roar today and use the promo code Roar to save $10 on your first order of Panthers tickets. That's TickPick.com Roar, promo code Roar. Joining us to preview the week five opponent the philadelphia eagles we're joined by andrew uh is it de checho de Cesso? Uh, it's uh andrew de checo de checo andrew de checo de checo does a ton of work with the eagles on inside the birds.com uh, he also does some fantastic work covering the nfl draft and not just your big p5 or uh, G5 programs, a lot of FCS and Division Two, Division Three. Really digs into a small school, and I know him and I had a convo after Jeremy Chin got selected because uh, he was pretty early on him. But Andrew, you know, thanks again for joining. But let's get right into it with this Philadelphia Eagles uh, team. They're sitting right now at one and three. Uh, to, to me, this is a team that's a little better than their record suggests. I thought they did some things well offensively last week, uh, but it, it, they're still a little bit of lingering questions about the direction this franchise is going. Cause they did acquire not one, but two additional first round picks in the off season. Uh, and a lot of the outsider noise suggests that this team was maybe rebuilding, but I don't know, like Jeffrey Lurie has never been a guy who likes to rebuild. He tries to win as it is, but I, I just want to get your kind of holistic view of this franchise and what direction it's going and how you so far evaluate the 2021 season. Well, obviously there's a lot of mixed signals, Billy, as far as what direction the Eagles were headed, but this was always going to be a rebuilding, a retooling roster and one that's very much in transition. You have a young head coach, Nick Sirianni, a young defensive coordinator in Jonathan Gannett and a young special teams coach in Michael Clay and a, just a young nucleus of, of, of supplementary coaches to go along with a young quarterback who had always started four games entering the season in Jalen Hurts, a, a very young wide receiving core and a defense that you really didn't know if it was going to fit Jonathan Gannon's scheme that he was looking to implement and still is throughout, you know, throughout the season. So you really 
what my takeaway was that you want to see what you have in your young players. You want to see encouraging signs from your young coach and see if Jalen Hurts can really be the quarterback of the future. Now, Jalen Hurts has had his uh, peaks and valleys this season. I thought he showed encouraging growth in that loss to the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday. Nick Sirianni has also endured his share of growing pains as well, but this was to be expected from my vantage point. Anyone who put elevated expectations on the season, that's on them, not necessarily the Philadelphia Eagles. This season is all about evaluation and seeing that progression throughout the season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they started hot right after, right out of the gate, 32-6 win in Atlanta. Uh, I mean, played a competitive game against the uh, 49ers at home and then kind of got crashed back down to earth against Dallas. Uh, Carolina saw how much of a juggernaut that Dallas offense really is. But let's, I want to start with the defense because I have a lot of questions, obviously, offensively. Uh, some curious quotes yesterday about the personnel and the scheme of this defense from the defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, saying that they are not a dime team. Um, fair enough. I, I always appreciate coaches who want to implement their own scheme. But to me, uh, when I watch that game, I mean, Tyree Kill is one of the fastest guys in the NFL, and it, it's probably not a good idea. Um, to just throw your scheme out there without adjusting it to your opponent. Um, I, I think they have a very talented front. Javon Hargrave, I'm a big fan of his since he came mm-hmm. out of South Carolina State. He's excellent. Cox, obviously great. What are you seeing from this defense? And like specifically with the defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, like, do you think he's getting enough out of this unit or do you think he can adjust his scheme to his personnel? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Tyreek Hill. He got a touchdown. He was a one-on-one with linebacker Eric Wilson. And that really is, that really sort of is a telltale sign of what's going wrong with Jonathan Gannon's scheme. I think he really needs to implement a scheme more conducive to the players that he has around him. Now, do I believe that he has the personnel to really effectively run the scheme that he's looking to implement here in Philadelphia? No, I don't. And I believe that he knows that as well. However, you can't continuously sit back there and get gashed against the run. Obviously, Jim Schwartz adopted a cover one, a heavy cover one approach and left his corners on an island. But now you're saying Jonathan Gannon go the other way and have uh, two deep safeties. And instead of bringing that safety down to help against the run, they're getting gashed because the defensive line is not stout enough to keep the linebackers clean. And you're having a very vastly undersized linebacking core and led by Alex Singleton and Eric Wilson that really aren't adept at coming downhill. They're better suited moving laterally and using their range to really pursue ball carriers and flow to the action, but they're not really well, they're not really suited to come downhill. You're getting linemen that are coming to that second level and really rendering, rendering them ineffective against the run. And the safeties are too far out of the picture to really make a play. So they're just getting gashed. And Jonathan Gannon has not really been able to, do anything about it. And he's just more so happy to protect against the big plays, which were such a, uh, so prevalent uh, on double moves and things of that nature under the previous regime. So they're not giving up big plays, but they're just getting gouged against the run. So there's going to be an opportunity here for Chuba Hubbard um, to really take advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I I was also kind of just, a, a little perplexed, um, like I said, by this game. I, I thought that maybe they might make some adjustments after Dallas uh, really put it on them on Monday night. But, hey, he's a first-time defensive coordinator. These guys always learn. 
Uh, Phil Snow, we had a lot of questions about him last year, but he kind of adjusted uh, in the same way. So it'll be interesting to see what they do on Sunday. Uh, let's move to the offense now, because I was so impressed with Nick Sirianna's ability to get to scheme up open uh, receivers in that week one game against Atlanta. Now he's going up against, he went up against some better defenses. And I thought again, last week, uh, unfortunately Hertz had a couple touchdowns negated due to penalties, but still like, I, I also, I just feel like when I watch this offense, the play caller and play designer Sirianni or Steichen, whoever is involved in that, I'm sure it's a collaborative effort. They're doing a really good job of scheming open, not only the two tight ends, Goddard and Ertz, but also the receivers. And I, I mean, doesn't take a rocket science to know that Devonte Smith, whatever concerns you had about him, he's an outstanding route runner. Um, so do you think like this offense is kind of turning a corner now with Hertz being able to uh, just be a little more uh, willing to rip the ball in, in these situations? Oh, because I'm seeing open receivers. I don't know about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this week can be really telling because after that first week in Atlanta, there was two clunker performances from both Nick Sirianni, Jalen Hurts, and really collectively the Eagles as a whole from a discipline standpoint and a failure to execute and a failure to scheme these receivers open, which you outlined so nicely. That really wasn't the case in the, against, in the losses to the San Francisco 49ers and to the Dallas Cowboys. However, they, what I really liked that they did with Jalen was they got him into the flow of the game early with some short, quick decision-making and getting rid of the football and it really settled him in. Now, after that, they he they really opened up the, the playbook. And because you you can't beat the Kansas City Chiefs with field goals, you need to – and that ball control type of offense, you have to really let it rip and and utilize your, your wide array of weapons that you have. You mentioned Devontae Smith. He had seven receptions for 122 yards, really affected all three levels of the field. You got your top two tight ends who – you got your two tight ends going, who are two of the top ten, t- two of the top tight ends in, in football, in my opinion, top ten tight ends in Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. They really had an opportunity to even break the game wide open even more over the middle of the field. That was that was wide open. Working against linebackers Nick Bolton and, and Anthony Hitchens, uh, Kenneth Gainwell's becoming a factor. There's just so many different guys. Jalen Hurst delivered the football to eight different receivers. Looked pretty comfortable. Were there a couple throws he would like to have back? Yes, on that first drive, he sailed the pass in the end zone. That should have been a, a clear touchdown to get them on the board. And I thought that on the other end, I believe it was in the third quarter, it was a uh, after the touchdown was called back to Dallas Goddard, there is a weird sequence of plays, but one of them was a wide-open touchdown throw that was a little bit wide, but Greg Ward should have had it. Um, those are just some of the things. I thought his ball placement was a lot better, and I thought he was in command working off his first read and not being so quick to elude the pocket and take what the defense was giving him. So that was a very encouraging sign from Jalen Hurts. I thought Nick Sirianni called a good game as well. Now it's about saying, can they stack that performance move and build on that moving forward? Because you really have two good performances and two bad performances from both parties. So you want to see what this is, what it's going to look like this week. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. And as we close out here, I want to get your thoughts and perspective on, uh, I mean, you live in Philly. I mean, the Philly media is, uh, you know, it can be a little relentless at times, but I do think that uh, I want to get kind of what the general take is on Matt Rule. I mean, he spent a lot of time at Temple, uh, built a really good program there before moving to Baylor. Uh, what, what's kind of been your impressions of not only like how the city feels about him, uh, but also just what you think he's done in his brief time here in the NFL? Well, I can say this, that he's had, he's made a 
profound impact in every stop that he's gone. And there is a, uh, there's an innate respect for Matt rule, especially here in the Philadelphia area for helping turn around that temple program, went to Baylor, made an impact there, made an early, made some early ripples in the NFL is really constructing the team that I think is going to be a force in the next coming years. You look at the young defense in particular with the Carolina Panthers, he just has a, a, a vision and ha- has an evaluation prowess that I think is really shines. It really shines through everywhere he's gone. And you have to really like what he's built there in Carolina. He has Sam Donald off to a, to a decent start. And I mean, that Sam Donald threw for 300 yards over the past three weeks and even had four rushing touchdowns in the past two weeks. Yeah. He got him away from Adam Gates and he's starting to tap into his potential and it just seems like he's able to get the most out of every out of every uh, out of all the players, no matter where he goes. And I think there's something to be said for that. I think there's an emotional intelligence there with with Matt Rule, and uh, it's it's sort of remarkable to see the impact that he's made in the NFL in such an early you know this is second season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been uh, encouraging. There, there are some areas that I think he can still get better in, such as in game management. Uh, so. Uh, Andrew, I, I really thank you for joining us. Uh, do you have anything to plug or where can people follow you on Twitter as you head out here? Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, that's A Dicheco NFL, A D I C E C C O NFL. And all my work can be found on insidethebirds.com for anything from analysis, game, game reviews, sto- feature stories, you name it. I'll have a scouting report out on the Eagles Panthers game on Friday. And, uh, yeah, it should be a good game. Yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Andrew DiCecco, thank you again for joining us. Thanks, Billy. Take care. Okay, everyone. That was, once again, Andrew DiCecco. Thanks again for him for joining us to help preview the Week 5 opponent, the Philadelphia Eagles. And this is a team that I feel like is a little underrated uh, nationally and obviously Philadelphia is a huge market uh, such a passionate fan base across um, you know, the entire world uh, but I want to give you guys a couple of interesting uh, tidbits about them and where they kind of stack up right now their offense uh, their production offensively I'm looking at EPA per play it's 15th in the NFL uh, which is pretty good uh, their rush offense is certainly much better than their drop back EPA per play, but it's, it's about middling. And uh, I think that's pretty encouraging for where they are in their rebuilds. Uh, but to me, the biggest thing about this game that's interesting is what is Carolina's rush plan going to be? Because last week they uh, had their defensive ends rushing up fields and, you know, eliminating gaps that the edge rusher should be in. And that allowed Prescott to step up and just scramble for yards. But at the same time, Prescott is a very elite quarterback uh, within the pocket. So he can manipulate that area a little bit and also just look to throw down field hurts probably doesn't have that same pocket presence, but I can tell you this, he he's a very smart runner. And for whatever we think about him as a passer, he will burn you on the ground. So Carolina needs to play with a lot more integrity in their rush lanes. And I, I understand that Burns and Reddick are primarily speed rushing guys. Uh, we'll see what the injury status is on Reddick this week. I think he should be healthy, but for me, it's really going to come down to, you know, 
just being gap sound in that department because Hertz will make you pay. Uh, now, defensively in the past game, I mean, he mentioned that Goddard and Hertz are two of, I mean, they are the best tight end duo in the NFL. I mean, they're, you're going to see a lot of 12 personnel. Maybe you see some 11 personnel um, when they rotate those two guys. They use them all over the field on wheel routes, on dig routes, on flat routes, on vertical nine routes. They, they use Goddard and Hertz very creatively. And I think that's a very big credit to Nick Sirianni. He's playing to this offensive strengths and Devonte Smith has really picked it up. You know, the past couple weeks, he had a really good game against uh, Kansas city. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of people remember the slip against the uh, Cowboys, which allowed Trevon Diggs uh, to go pick six, but uh, d- you got to give Smith credit. He's certainly playing his uh, holding his own. And uh, their other receiver, uh, Quez Watkins, he's probably been the biggest surprise to me, at least watching them on tape. Uh, he's, you know, very good vertically, but he's been making some excellent catches. I mean, you saw that one catch on Monday night where he hurts like severely under through and Watkins went up and mossed uh, the cornerback. Uh, so it's going to be Carolina in this game. If, Again, I'm going to be very curious to see what their plan is because if Shaq Thompson is out, um, they, they have to defend the middle of the field because that's where the tight ends will feast predominantly. Uh, but at the same time, you have to also protect deep against the vertical threat that Watkins and Smith present. Um, and in addition to that, I mean, their running backs are very good too. I mean, I love Miles Sanders. Kenny, Kenny Gainwell's having a pretty solid season. So this is an offense that I really feel like can beat you and it's going to come down to just not only execution but preparation for carolina do you have the right plan last week i know they gave up a lot of yards on the ground but i really did feel like the plan to allow zeke to beat you was smart and credit to zeke and tony pollard they ran for a crazy amount 245 yards but you have to at this game adjust it you have to make hurts beat you from the pocket and Hertz made Kansas city pay last week. Unfortunately for the Eagles, they couldn't stop them defensively. And two of the touchdowns they had came off the board too. So if Jalen hurts beats you just like Zeke and Pollard beat you last week, you took your cat. I just want to see growth and I want to see the right schematic um, tendencies. So Carolina can at least show some better process, even if the results are matching. But I do believe that if, Carolina can just maintain sound rush lanes, not only in the dropback game, but in the RPO, they do a lot of RPO. It's very similar to like a Lincoln Riley type offense uh, that you see at Oklahoma, a lot of glance RPOs, a lot of bubble screen RPOs. I mean, and Hertz is very smart at that. I mean, we got to give him credit and it's going to be very difficult to defend that. And I mean, it's a good thing that Carolina has faced. uh, I mean, Phil snow, at least he, played Oklahoma a few times when he was in the big 12. So I do expect Phil snow to kind of be properly prepared for this game. And they should be coming off a, a humiliating defensive performance like that last week. I expect to bounce back from this team on that side of the ball. Uh, now Philly does have a couple injuries up front. Uh, they're starting left tackle Jordan Maliata. I believe he's out. I also believe that Isaac uh, Simolo, who's their left guard is out lane. Johnson will return. It looks like he, I just saw an update from the Eagles website that uh, he was out for personal reasons, uh, but he should be back. So, uh, I mean, Kels is still, Jason Kels is still an elite center and Lane Johnson, very good right tackle. 
so I'm I'm expecting this to be a pretty tough matchup on that side of the ball, and it's just going to be very important for Carolina to really confuse this offense and Jalen Hurts with pressure packages, and uh, you cannot let him get going on the ground. You just can't. Um, on the other side of the ball, I'm, I'm fairly confident, actually, believe it or not, that Carolina's offense can take advantage of what <laughs> this defense presents because it's a very similar scheme to what Lovey Smith and the Houston Texans present. And I thought that was a good game plan by Joe Brady because it was a Thursday night game. You lost McCaffrey and they adjusted pretty well to really attack the um, middle of the fields open type looks, which is essentially the cover two defense that the Texans play. So again, I'm, I think they'll have a plan to attack them. And now, with these recent comments from their defensive coordinator, he he's just seems to be a little stubborn in that regard. He comes from uh, a very similar uh, tree. He comes from the he worked with Matt Eberflus in Indianapolis, and Eberflus is the same thing. A lot of cover two, and he just expects you know his players to make plays. I mean, they do have a talented front four. I think that Josh Sweat is really good. I think uh, Barnett is he's okay. I, I saw him against Dallas. He did. He made a couple nice pressures, uh, a couple of nice pressures on Prescott, but to me, it's going to be one on the interior of the offensive line. And it's Carolina's interior of the offensive line cannot, if they cannot protect Darnold, then Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave are going to have a field day. Okay. Now you have to figure out a way to adjust your line protections. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe slide it one direction if it cox is lined up at a three technique and hargrave is at one technique maybe slide the protection um you know to cox's or to hargrave's side so you have the left tackle also helping protect uh against a three technique and then you have the center and the right guard potentially uh double teaming hargrave now i understand the nuances of offensive line play and scheme protections is not as um sophisticated as i just presented but i, I just think that this offense in order for them to have a chance. And I think they have a very good chance of having a good game. You have to protect up front because this secondary with those linebackers are exploitable. These linebackers, I'm telling you, they are not good. They have to be the one of the worst in the NFL. Um, you know, Singleton and Wilson, these guys are very fast sideline to sideline, but they, they I just, I haven't seen them cover. I, I don't think they can cover at all. Uh, Eric Wilson was part of that defense last year in Minnesota, which allowed Kamara to have like six touchdowns. He is not a very good linebacker in Singleton. I don't know. Like, I don't know what he does well, but Eagles fans, I think like him a lot because I think he brings a lot of intangible qualities, but I really think that this defense, uh, especially in the middle of the field is very exploitable. So I hope that the tight end utilization is increased from what I saw last week in Dallas. And then finally, like I, I think they do actually have some talented corners. Darius Slate is, you know, still one of the better corners in the NFL, but I think DJ Moore, if he's going up against him, should have a decent game. But again, they, they're not doing a lot of like pattern matching and within their coverages. It's a lot of spot drop spot dropping and cover two. So it's it's going to be interesting to me. I mean, if they couldn't guard Tyree Kill, who I think is a top two or three receiver in the league, or C.D. Lamb or Amari Cooper, I, I'm not sure I see them adjusting in time to guard D.J. Moore. Uh, I think Robbie should have a big game. I think the tight end should have a, a decent game. Um, you know, and they're going to present opportunities for light boxes. So uh, I expect Hubbard and Freeman or Rodney Smith or whoever's getting the majority of the touches, I expect them to 
uh, really produce on the ground. I don't have a full prediction for you yet, but I mean, this is a game Carolina should win. Let's just be honest with you. Okay. I I know Philly's offense. I presented some of the dangers that they present, uh, but Carolina should beat this Philadelphia Eagles team. Defensively, they're 23rd in EPA per play. Uh, I mean, that's, that's not very good for contrast Dallas. um, They are ninth in EPA per play. The saints are fourth in EPA per play and the jets defense is 13th in EPA per play. So defensively, this is, and Houston's 25th. So th- defensively, this is on par with what they saw week three against Houston. And now you have a full week to prepare. I, I really hope I see this offense take off because they should, and I repeat, should have a lot of advantages, not only personnel-wise, but with Joe Brady's um, schematic you know, prowess and the play-action game, I really think that the linebackers in Philadelphia will struggle and Hey, I've been wrong before, but if they can't take advantage of this, then I I would be very concerned. So like I said, I think Carolina should win this game. I think the spread is three and a half or four. Uh, I do think it'll be close, like maybe a 27, 20 or like a 24 to 17 type game. Um, But this is a game they should win. Dallas is one of the best teams in the NFL. In my opinion, You got humiliated last week defensively, offensively did some good things in the first half and you had the turnovers in the second half. Uh, But, you know, you kind of were able to put it all together on some uh, fourth quarter drives to make it a little closer than what it should be. But Carolina, this is, I'm not calling it a must win game, but if they don't win, then I think we can raise some concerns about um, maybe what this team really is. And again, you should never underestimate your opponents. Philly, again, has a lot of decent personnel offensively and defensively. I want to see Carolina's defense actually get some turnovers uh, because I don't believe they had a turnover the last two games. So defensively, opportunity, just make sure that the rush lanes are gap sound. We're not giving huge holes to Sanders or Gainwell, and we're not rushing upfield like crazy in man coverage so Hurts can escape. Just play sound football force him to make some tight window throws and maybe you get some interceptions, which will really boost the confidence of this defense. Uh, So I will go, I'll give you my full prediction like we did last week on the spaces, but right now I'm leaning towards a Carolina win. Uh, I believe that being at home should boost them a little bit, but Hey, it's never easy in the NFL and uh, this week it won't get any easier. So that's it for me. That's Billy Marshall. Thank you everyone for joining and we'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.